Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. With episode five, and as we've already sort of started talking about, you know, there's sort of this moment at the end of the episode that kind of suddenly throws out everything kind of for a loop where Roe, who we've sort of been talking about Nazi's brother, we've sort of in previous episode since he appeared been like oh this is like this really nice guy this really cool guy who's like everyone's like oh like Nati's brother is much better than Nati like um and so now all of a sudden you know he reveals to to his brother to Nati that you know his true identity that that he um that he's gay and as we started talking about Nati has to sort of figure out how to process it and at least according to that conversation, um, Roe says he hasn't told anyone else about, about what, you know, about his orientation. And, you know, it puts Nati in this spot of, you know, he sort of responds not in the most positive of ways, but at the same time, as was touched on, he's also responds in sort of a protective way in some way of saying like, you're staying here, like I, you know, he he kind of takes on that older brother protective role a little bit, while also sort of drawing a line and saying, you know, that friend Mayor, you know, who he finds out is gay, is not allowed back here, you know, at all. And I mean, I think there's a lot of sub, like there's a, there's a number of different directions um, that this can go. Even just watching the episode a second time just now, um, you know, made me look more carefully at the conversation with Mayer. Um, and the, you know, when, when uh, Rui is learning with Mayer and, you know, they talk about, oh, do you have, do you guys have, do you and Rude have things to talk about? And he says, oh yeah, lo chaser, like the, there's no, you know, no shortage of things to talk about. And Mayer says, oh yeah, that's, you know, it kept me together with my wife for all these years. You know, which at the moment we don't think about the fact that, Mayor is gay and apparently, you know, in a married relationship to a woman for 10 years, um, you know, and, and it sort of doesn't click at that moment that, you know, anything is off until we find out later, oh, Mayor is actually gay and yet he's married to a woman. Um, and now it appears that Roe is trying to go down a similar path of potentially, you know, pursuing a relationship with Root because he has things to talk with her about. He feels comfortable with her and so forth. And yet, you know, he says he'll never be in love with her. He's not attracted to her. He's attracted to women. Um, so yeah, so a lot, a lot to unpack just in that one little piece. I know we already have a few hands up. So maybe we'll start with Barbara and then Norm. If you have, nope, is that an accidental hand raise? Okay, Norm. I have the impression that uh, married gay men are not that unusual, particularly in the from community. I have seen uh, women praising their husbands for managing to be with them, to be good fathers, to stay with the family, even though they have this urge that is not being met. And so, you know, it's not a unique thing. Um, and that may be something that inspired the authors to design that character in that way. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think it's an interesting thing. Also, it's just interesting thinking about what has changed in the world at large and in the Orthodox world since Shrugim originally aired, which was back in, what do we say, like, 09 to 11, thereabouts. 
somewhere in that vicinity, 10 to 12, um, which is not a long time, it's 10 years or so. But when it comes to the role of gay people in Orthodox life, things have changed pretty dramatically in that um, it's probably the fastest moving um, topic in terms of societal, societal acceptance, if not halachic innovation. Um, so yeah, so I mean, it's like, you know, but, but I think you're right, Norm, in, in saying that that I think is a common and has historically been the common, you know, response is, you know, just marry a woman anyway, have children anyway, and, you know, sort of downplay, repress your um, homosexual attractions. Um, I'm just going to share for a moment, I was sharing earlier this, um, it was called the Statement of Principles, which was a, it was a statement by about, uh, signed by about 200 um, Orthodox rabbis, you know, modern Orthodox rabbis from 10 years ago, 10 and a half years ago, um, and not going through the whole thing, but actually the last point here, number 12, says, you know, Jews who have an exclusively homosexual orientation should, under most circumstances, not be encouraged to marry someone of the other gender, as this could lead to great tragedy, unrequited love, shame, dishonesty, and ruined lives. Um, they should be directed to contribute to Jewish and general society in other meaningful ways. Right? Any such person planning to marry someone of the opposite gender is halakhically and ethically required to fully inform his or her potential spouse of their sexual orientation. So it's interesting to think about, um, you know, again, this, I'll, I can throw this statement into the uh, chat line, but I think there's a number of areas in which there's been a recognition over the years of harm caused, and one of those with that encouragement of people who are gay and not bisexual to you know try to marry a woman and especially if, if without telling her um about you know your true orientation reading more of that statement of principles again from like 10 and a half years ago signed on by about 200 modern orthodox um rabbis so it's a little outdated but you know i think it's the most recent thing that i that i saw on the topic but yeah, no, it's, that was certainly one really interesting piece, which I hadn't really noticed until watching it the second time. I think Robert has his hand up. Oh, okay. Robert, I guess I'm on speaker view. Okay, hey, Robert. Uh, okay. Um, how realistic is it that uh, uh, Nazi uh, would not know that his brother's gay after, you know, they, they grew up together? Um, is it that is... Um, the sex uh, being gay um it, is it that uh hidden from a, cl a close family or maybe they're not that close you know i mean i think that's very very common i think that's probably the most okay. common actually um you know outcome is you know that siblings and parents you know they, look there are people who are who know from a young age and their family knows from a young age. And there are lots and lots and lots of people who don't. And the, or like, even if they, you know, the individual themselves is trying to figure out and sort out their attractions, siblings, family, parents, etc., frequently don't know and often have no inkling until they find out, um, until they're told. So yeah, not uncommon at all. Jeff, who does? Jeff. Jeff, yeah. Oh, I, I was just thinking, Nadi's been... Uh, he's been through medical school and probably in these years where he'd actually be more, uh, uh, I don't know, think more about these things. He's probably been busy just getting through medical school and everything else and not paying too much attention to his brother, whether or not he was that close to him to begin with. 
So I, I can see that as, you know, being not a, unusual at all that he wouldn't know. But I feel like also just seeing what we've seen of Roe, like he's, you know, flirts with women. He goes out with women, like, right. There's not like any clear indications um, of his orientation. So you're right. Not, not, not the most perceptive person generally. Um, and I imagine being in med school made him less perceptive and he wasn't around his brother all the time and so forth. But like, I mean, we've gotten to know Rui a little bit in the last couple episodes and there weren't really any clear indications that I, you know, that I noticed that led me to even think about that possibility. So, um, you know, yeah, it's- um, The only thing that I will add, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, The only thing that I'll add is, I also think as someone with three brothers, you don't often like think about these things (laughs) in terms of your siblings. Like I, I, I mean, I once I saw my siblings dating people who were women, I guess I, you know, realized, oh, they are heterosexual. But I think that that it actually gets to a really core importance of how Judaism, um, especially the modern, more liberal, even more orthodox movements think about homosexuality in general, which is to really see like the soul of the person and not necessarily their sexuality, but to allow a person to be able to show um, love for whatever gender they are inclined to show love and affection for. Um, And often when you are a sibling, and I don't think I'm saying anything that people don't experience if you have your own siblings, but we, we know them so intimately that some of the outside layers that other people are very attuned to, we aren't as attuned to because we know them on a whole other emotional, uh, relational level. And so there are things about my own siblings that I'm sure if someone said to me, oh, don't you know that Sammy, blah, 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 I would have no reason to even pick up on that because I just know him so differently. So I think that I I can't speak to having a sibling who is gay, but I can speak to having close relationship with my siblings that would lead me to have a very different experience of knowing them than necessarily questioning their sexuality, unless I had reason. Um, Debbie or Steve, and then, oh, yes, we'll go to you after we go to Debbie and Steve. Okay, so um, two things. I think they, um, they did some foreshadowing uh, because when uh, Root and Roy went to look at that apartment and he was talking about how he would decorate it in a stereotypical way, they kind of like, you know, kind of drew that out of him about his decorating stuff. So that was a little stereotypical. But also, I think it's very interesting that that, that statement by the modern Orthodox rabbis, because I think in the Haredi community, it's the exact opposite. They're saying, doesn't matter, you're going to get married and you're going to have kids, uh, doesn't matter, you know, you're just not going to act on those urges. So I think that's a very different, and they're both orthodox, of course, one's modern orthodox, one's, you know, Haredi, but I think that's really quite the opposite um, take. 100%, yeah, 100% that, um, you know, I think in much of the Haredi world, it's sort of, this is, this is like, one of these things about modernity that's terrible, we need to build, you know, draw, build walls to prevent and so forth. I was mentioning earlier, I think in the numerous Orthodox communities that I've been a part of, all of them have had to, have, I don't want to say had to deal with, but 
um, you know, children of members who've come out as gay, um, including of, you know, pretty right-wing members who've come out as gay. And I think that's been a big part of the shift, again, in terms of social acceptance, even if not in terms of halachic change in the Orthodox world, is that so many communities, even communities that try to build the big walls um, and say, this is bad and we don't do it, have had to deal with members or children of members in, of their communities who've come out. So ultimately, you know, eventually there's no way around it. Um, so even in the Haredi world, this is, you know, like they might, they might not show to the outside world necessarily like any kind of an openness, but I think internally they recognize that this is a reality. So, but, but they certainly wouldn't come out with a statement that says things like the statement does about, you know, welcoming, I mean, again, and the statement's not, very, it's not like a super liberal statement. It talks about, you know, the only legitimate, halacha, you know, halacha only recognizes, you know, the only le- recognized whatever um, legitimate form of sexual expression is within a heterosexual marriage between a man and a woman. So like, it, it's, it's not like a super liberal statement, um, but it is something more um, liberal and open than you would find any Haredi organization, I think. Now, and I'll just say before, Suray, you have a turn. Um, I'll just say the conservative movement also put out a tshuva six years before the modern Orthodox movement. So we might be ahead, but not by much. Um, and even, and for those of you who learned this tshuva with me just a few months ago in my Midrashah class, this it's also not a statement that is in all ways liberal. It very clearly states in the conclusion that though we're not walking into people's bedrooms and asking them sexual questions, that we still prefer, even in the conservative movement, for people to be having heterosexual sex and that we don't condone men having sex. Um, And we're not going to go down that road today, but the reason I bring it up is because it is something that I think when you when you talk about liberal movements of Judaism, very often you think, oh, the reform movement, the conservative movement, everything, anything goes and everyone is welcome and everything is fine. And on the outside, we do say that and we do make sure that people who are who are homo- homosexual feel um, welcome into our community. And again, we're not going to their homes and checking in on their sex lives. But if you are someone who is halachically bound or feels as though you are going to keep a halachic home, one of the things that the conservative movement says, same as the modern Orthodox movement, is that the the act of of sex is still not one that we condone in that movement. Um, so I just wanted to point that out, uh, that these, Roy Pernick and I are not coming movement-wise uh, at this in such different angles. In fact, they're quite they're quite similar. And Rabbi Pernick, the elder, as someone called you earlier, um, can can talk about the reform movement, which is which is very different, um, but but can speak to that uh, as a major difference from the two of us. Uh, okay, Sure, you've waited long enough. Okay, I was just going to say not to. You know, yes, his brother, but did you notice he said, you don't look gay? Right, yeah. You know, he said that. And, I mean, is it fair to the girl? I forgot her name, you know, because she has no idea. 
and he's like, she thinks, you know, he's courting her. And so, he might be courting her. Yeah, he <laughs> might be, yeah. He is courting her. Um, <laughs> and and I think that what Rye Parnick was saying earlier is, is to point out that there are times in which people in in that kind of world, even in the modern Orthodox world, who might feel like if I can find someone who is going to be um, welcoming of who I am, even if not of the gender that I prefer and am attracted to, I know that my life will be easier in my religion if I can be in a heterosexual marriage. Um, and so he is courting her and he does want to be with her. And I'm not giving too much away in saying like there will be many more episodes of this trope. In fact, when uh, Rye Pernick said that he wanted to talk about this, I was like, we're going to have many opportunities to talk about this, but okay, we can start tonight. Um, but it's going to come up because it's not something that he's now just going to go to her and say, this is who I am and see you later. And, you know, I'm going to go find myself a boyfriend. That's not how it's going to happen. So um, Denise and then Rebecca and then Michael, we can get to that point, but yeah, I mean, the point that you brought up in the chat is, yes, there are conservative congregations with gay rabbis, 100%. I think all the movements, uh, maybe not modern orthodoxy, I actually don't, I can't speak for you, Roy Pernick, but um, have people in clergy or leadership positions who are gay, um, and that's great. And we haven't been doing it for that long, and it's something that we're very proud to say that we do. And yet, there are still aspects of marriage and aspects of relationship that are still very complicated within even the conservative movement. So, um, <laughs> okay, Denise and then Rebecca. So, I was just wondering, but I, I feel like you kind of answered it in a way because it's going to continue being an issue. Um, but I just wondered if he's sort of trying out the experience of coming out and, and just living a different way because his mother passed away and that there's, um, I don't know, I guess I'm thinking even after my own mom passed, there's a certain sense of like, okay, my life is mine now and I can, I can try things and I can be things and I don't have to be disappointed or pressuring me to do a different thing or, you know, so I just wondered how much of that might be going on for Roy. Yeah, it's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but I think you're right in terms of perhaps some elements of shame and guilt that, you know, what all we know about the mom I mean, is that she pressures not know, to be like, married. So we can imagine Roy as the same. Yeah, person. but obviously, I'm, but I mean, I'm, I'm not even only talking about shame and guilt, um, although you know, obviously, if if you're a Jewish son and you're not getting married, there's shame and guilt issues going on. But um, but you know, just in terms of everything, it, it's like you just sort of I don't know. I had a very I loved my mom with all my heart, and she was probably the most dominating person I've ever known in my life. And so, you know, just living in the world without her is really different. And I I don't know. I guess I projected some of that to Roy. Yeah, I think that that the moment that we are seeing in this episode that is akin to what you are sharing is that, he, especially in moments of transformation, whether that's happy transformation or challenging transformation or grief-stricken transformation, 
you begin to think about who you are and you begin to decide what risks are you going to take to present that way out to the world. Um, and sometimes that happens with grief and as um, Debbie or Steve, as the Mishik household said, um, it's also possible that, that maybe his mom was the one who knew and now it was time for other people to know. So, so uh, you know, who knows? And I think that you're spot on that in these moments of of loss, you also try to figure out who are you to not to not have those questions the next time you lose someone. Um, so, uh, Rebecca or Leonard and Barbara. On the point about whether close family members um, know um, if the family member is gay and really sense something, I think it was the surprise to Nadi, so he didn't seem to know. But the father, I think, might have sensed something. And at the dinner, when he turned to Rayut and okay. said, oh, are you really sure you want to go out with him or you don't know what you're getting into, something, when the father said that, I thought to myself, oh, I wonder whether Rowe is gay. I, I thought that right away, and then that played out. So I think that, um, you know, the the father might have known, and he was uh, perhaps um, conveying conveying that in, in a way um, to not his son directly, but to somebody else. You know, sometimes you even try to say something in front of somebody to somebody else, you know, when you're really trying to convey it to that uh uh, to that other person. So, um, yeah, so perhaps, perhaps he, uh, did know. That's a really interesting point. I just thought that, you know, in typical like dad style, I thought that he was just trying to say like, this guy has never kept a girlfriend. So are you sure that this is, you want to go down this road? Like good, good luck. Maybe you'll stick. Um, but yeah, it's possible. It's possible that, that he he was trying to kind of let her know or or let Roe know that he should tell her, right? That if you're gonna say that this is your girlfriend and the dad knows something that, that she obviously doesn't know, um, maybe he was trying to teach his son a lesson too. That's a really interesting point. Barbara, where'd you go? Oh, there you are. Um, actually, this is more for Rabbi Pernick than for, for Rabbi Schatz. Offended. Okay. I, no, you, no, no, you're not. No, you're not. Um, from an from an Orthodox standpoint, I know from a conservative standpoint, and I think it applies to, to the Orthodox. It, when we're talking gay, we're really talking about guys and male sexual habits, as opposed to females and lesbian sexual habits. But I just wanted to know if that was you know, that or the Orthodox doesn't condemn females from fooling around together like they do condemn males feeling around fooling around together so is that correct yeah, so so basically there's one act which is considered a door right to prohibition in, in orthodox and and potentially you know a very severe door right or horror level prohibition everything else is considered durabanan um so that both women you know women with other women is sort of like considered a, you know, a durabanan, like it's, you know, a rabbinically prohibited, but not like, right, not at the same level. Same with, by the way, non, um, you know, non, just to use the terminology, non-anal sex. Anything that is not male anal sex is maximally durabanan. Um, and so, 
that's sort of a lot of the conversation in, in the Orthodox world or probably in the conservative world as well is, okay, maybe there are ways for people to build a, um, you know, a sex, a, a sex life with a monogamous partner and just staying away from the big prohibition and finding ways, you know, alternative, you know, other ways of having sexual intimacy um, without, and that's, I think, what the conservative chuva largely comes down saying, we think it's possible for people to have a long-term sexually fulfilling relationship without violating the, the big Dorenta probing. Um, so, you know, I know gay Orthodox people who would say, no, <laughs> like that doesn't work. I'm not, you know, sort of accept me as I am or like that, you know, that's it. But, um, but yeah, that there's really one action that's the Torah versus our versus understood to prohibit and everything else is kind of in fuzzier land halakhically. and i will just add because you didn't ask for me so i'm gonna we've had a discussion on a thursday morning about it i know <laughs> i know i know um no but the only thing i was gonna say is that i one of the one of the ways that the conservative movement gets around this is is exactly what i said a few moments ago which is we say it is not allowed according to all the reasons Rabbi Parnik just said it's not allowed. And we also go as far as to say, we're not coming to your bedroom to check to see, you know, what kind of sex did you have tonight? So that isn't the, it, it's just not something that we are willing to say that we are okay with, but we're also not saying if you choose to have a relationship that involves anal intercourse, that we're going to know about it and therefore do anything about it. It's basically between you, your partner, God, is what the conservative movement says. Um, and and they say very clearly, like, it's still a prohibition that we are going to tell you is a prohibition and not and not say that it's okay. Well, and to extend it a little further, in, in the conservative religion, many years ago, there was a, a Shila that said that that the two guys getting together, and it would have been two women also, to could were allowed to come up for an aliyah, um, for before their wedding. Does that is that allowed in the uh, two guys to come up together like that in in, in orthodoxy? So it's a good question. Um, the synagogue where I where my yeshiva was based. Um, had a whole kerfuffle about wishing a mazel tov in their shul announcements to a gay couple. Um, and it was a whole thing and the OU threatened to kick, the, kick them out for wishing a mazel tov in, the, in their shul bulletin. And made, I'm sure like in person also in shul, um, but it was published and that's what, right? If it was just in person, no one would have known, but because it was published, then people, whatever, online found it, you know, detractors of the yeshiva and of the shoal and, and so forth and you know reached out to the OU and said how can you you know look at what your shoals are doing you know whatever and so forth um and eventually actually the shoal rescinded they they apologized for wishing the muscles up which was like a big complicated thing so not apologize but they, whatever they rescinded so so it was a really complicated thing um you're going back to that statement which again i would say is probably outdated because it's like from 10 years ago you know, it talks about in the statement um, about, let me pull it up. Um, 
So number eight here, right, says Jews with homosexual orientations or same-sex attractions should be welcomed as full members of the synagogue and school community. As appropriate with regard to gender and lineage, they should participate and count ritually, be eligible for synagogue honors, and generally be treated in the same fashion and under the same halachic and ashkafic framework as any other member of the synagogue. You know, conversely, they must accept and fulfill all responsibilities of membership and so forth. Um, then they say, we, don't, uh, we do not here address what synagogues should do about accepting members who are openly practicing homosexuals and or living with the same sex partner. Each synagogue together with its rabbi must establish its own standard with regard to membership and so forth. Um, so they don't address calling up to people of the same gender for aliyot, but they do say you should call up gay members for aliyot. You know, they, you know no ritual honors are denied as individuals, but as a couple, that may be a different story is when it comes to family memberships, that's also maybe a different story. You know, they're not taking a stance. They're saying sort of, we'll leave that up to each synagogue. Um, we're not, we're not coming down one way in this statement, you know, and again, if that statement were written to get today, that it's possible that would be different. And the conservative movement, unlike what was talked about during Roy Parnick's class earlier, um, the conservative movement doesn't does not make it according to each uh, shul. I mean, the conservative movement, everything is according to each shul. But um, but the the idea of bringing people up to the bima or welcoming them or allowing them to be members of the shul across the board in the tshuva is allowed. You are welcome. You know, bruchim habayim. Like just come as you are. We would love to have you. Uh, and and the, the element that is different for different rabbis, not different shuls, different rabbis, <laughs> so within one shul, you could have one rabbi who does, one rabbi who doesn't, is doing gay marriage. And that is still something that certain conservative rabbis will do, and certain conservative rabbis will not do. But there is no element, not one element of uh, homosexual practice or membership in the conservative movement that is written down as needing to be decided per shul. It is per movement and it is allowed. So shuls that do not allow for it, that's their decision, but that's not according to the conservative movement. Um, by the way, maybe, I don't know if my dad or if Barbara want to chime in. Barbara did a little bit earlier about um, the reform movement. I mean, I remember when this came up in the reform movement about same-sex marriage. Um, again, this is something I think we'll probably touch on later on, but just maybe interested to hear a few words about how this plays out in your movement. Sure. Dad. I think my understanding is basically that there is no discrimination that I can think of in, in any way in terms of the reform movement, whether it has to do with marriage, ritual in the synagogue, ordination of clergy. Um, you know, the, the, the big issue in the reform movement in terms of clergy is it is still against the policy of Hebrew Union College to accept a rabbinical student who is married to a non-Jew. That's, that is the issue of controversy um, and this particular issue, not that every single rabbi or cantor has the same level of comfort, they don't, but the movement as a whole has basically said, this is fine, whether it's gay, lesbian, trans, etc. Though I remember that shifting when I was in high school, right, that there had been a vote on 
re- reform rabbis officiating at same-sex weddings, which had previously been rejected, and then later was approved, if I remember correctly. So I, I, I don't know if Barbara remembers. I, I, I'm not sure of the timeline, but you know the issue at one point, and again, through game began in 2008, um, it was not a legal marriage ceremony. And mm. that was part of the real issue that, um, you know, rabbis, when, it, when everybody knew that gay marriage was not legal in the United States, a rabbi could officiate at a ceremony and whether he or she called it a commitment ceremony or whatever, everybody knew it was not a legal wedding because there was no such thing as a legal wedding. Um, So that's why there are certain ceremonies, which again, we've talked about, which I don't know if this comes up with you or Rabbi Schatz, where we call them social security weddings. Okay, where you're doing a ceremony, but there's no civil marriage license because the couple wants to be married in the eyes of God, but not in the eyes of the Internal Revenue Service. That's fraud. You know, that is, people can go to jail for that. Uh, It doesn't usually happen, but that is against the law. So reform rabbis are told, don't ever do that. Because you are officiating it what looks to be a legal ceremony, but it isn't. Whereas when gay marriage was not legal, everybody knew it wasn't a legal ceremony because there's no such thing. Um, So, but I don't know that, you know, exactly when... But that's when I was in high school. I mean, I was in high school, 06, 2010. So that's exactly yeah. when stuff was yeah. beginning to shift. So, yeah. And, and, and I, I would just say, this is one of the issues, and I, I try to impress this on some of the people in my congregation, especially the younger ones, where the, the velocity, the speed with which this has changed in society is just incredible. I mean, and I know for some people it's not fast enough, but to have this type of change where, you know, in the 60s, I mean, gay people had to, you know, everything was in, in secret and people were beaten up and, you know, by the police, not just by certain people. I mean, it's been such a, a rapid societal change that it's it's amazing. And I think that's part of the reason that it's so difficult. I, I mean, I don't have any doubt in the Orthodox world, I'm sure in 50 years, that would be an interesting discussion. What is the view going to be of homosexuality in the Orthodox community in 25, 50 years, because I'm, I'm sure it will be very different. We, we even saw in the conservative movement, things began changing, not so much because of the law committee, but because of the students, you know. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Rabbi Barbara, were you going to Thank you, Rabbi Bernick. <laughs> he said it all. <clears throat> okay. Barbara. Sorry, Barbara, uh, California. To Rabbi Daniel Pernick's comment about the amount of change. When I was a third year medical student in 1961 or two, I don't remember which semester it was. In psychiatry, we were assigned a patient for six weeks in which we met, we met with that student for once a week. And these were people that were inpatients at San Francisco General. I went to school in San Francisco. And I was assigned a gay guy. Now I have gay uh, gays in my family, cousins. So it didn't, I couldn't quite, under, I said, I couldn't quite figure out in the six weeks I had with him why he was in the hospital. Because to me, he was a really pretty normal guy. But he was in the hospital 
solely because he was gay and someone had somehow placed him in the hospital to get him treated, to get him out of being gay. And that was 61 or 62. And uh, 10, 20 years later, it was the change in, in whether or not it was horrendous to be called gay or to say you were gay and was just so dramatically different from what was in 61. Just thought I should add that. It wasn't just rabbinical, it's medical too. For sure, for sure. Hey, Robert. Oh, okay. Um, you know, one thing I f- uh, found interesting was uh, uh, Root uh, being attracted uh, to, what's his name? Um, Rowie. 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 So, um, you know, the thing is, she was attracted probably because he's, se- he's a sensitive guy. Now, being, you know, it, it's maybe stereotypical, but, you know, because you could be a macho, um, you know, um, pain in the ass, you know, something like that. And, and be gay. But, you know, anyway, I thought it was interesting that there were guys that she didn't like who, uh, like the guys she went on that lunch date, um, and they there was nothing there. But Rowie was, seemed to be almost in tune to what she was saying and, and also sensitive in other ways. Of course, being sensitive is not, a, uh, you know, uh, a characteristic either of being gay, but it could be, you know, mm-hmm. perhaps, I don't know if it's more prevalent, but whatever it was, Ruth was attracted to him as opposed to all the, those other guys that she went out. With. I mean, I, as a woman, I think, that, I think that he, he's also just a kind human. Right. And I yeah. think that there's no way to know what she was attracted to. There's no way to know if stereotypically, you know, that is something that he was, sharing because he was gay or just because he's a nice guy. There are plenty of nice guys that are also heterosexual. It's harder to find them, but they, I'm just kidding. But anyway, he's just a nice person and he treats her well and he shows her attention. And, you know, I think that that's an easy thing to fall for. And also something that he, he is trying very hard to also not, let on. So when when he's asking her out on dates and all of these kinds of things, he's leading her on in such a way that why would she believe any different, even if she was someone who suspected something about his sexuality, he's taken this much further than, than those, you know, suspicions would lead her to believe. So I, I think, you know, stereotypes aside, which I don't love going down the trap of stereotypes because I don't think that it's easy to just categorize everybody under a stereotype. But I think that for her, she was just attracted to someone who was kind to her and wanted to show her attention, uh, which is wonderful. And everyone should want that. (laughs) Uh, Debbie and Steve and then Denise. Yeah, this is I'm just thinking of the of the last uh, speaking of Rowie, the last two scenes. So the second to the last scene is in the kitchen and um, it starts off with Nati saying, you know, uh, Ryut, you know, don't, Hey, what do, what do you think about Ryut? And he starts talking about some of the nice qualities that Ryut has. And you're kind of, uh, kind of expecting Roe to kind of chime in and say, yeah, but then he, he says, basically, no, she's not what I want. And then he goes in and he, he, uh, we have the, the discussion that follows. And what's interesting is, is the very next scene it's the last scene in the show is 
uh, Amir and Yafad, and they're having this real intimate scene. And Amir's got a, a, a big smile on his face. And he basically says to Yafad, you know, you're, you're, everything, you're everything that I ever wanted. And it's, they're right next to each other. And I thought that was a great way to end the show and kind of highlight mm-hmm. you know, Roe's struggle that, he, mm-hmm. that he's had to see those back to back like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also how interesting it is when in a relationship you can, you can make something sound like, or turn into what you have always wanted, or in Roe's case, you're a woman who's interested in me. And so that must be what I always wanted and always needed. Whereas Hodaya can't even imagine uh, this guy wanting to be with her because of all these qualities that have been pointed out to her now. And he says like, no, you're, you're perfect, right? For right now, this is exactly what I want. And so I, I love that juxtaposition. And it also shows how much we are also willing to change ourselves to try to be either the person who, who is wanted or um, to figure out what it is that we want and, and find that in another person. Uh, Denise. So I think it's interesting because with Reut, they've shown from the very first episode where she says, I'll make Kiddush. Um, she's like, she's not so comfortable with the traditional kind of submissive role that a woman should take. And she's pretty assertive. I think she was dating someone in the first episode and he's like, yeah, now I can get married because I'm making more money. And she's like, we were making enough the whole time. And so I think that it almost makes some kind of sense that she would be drawn to someone like Roy, not knowing that he's gay, but he's not, he's not as rigid about the gender roles as someone else. And, you know, and, and like her sister tells her to be soft and all this stuff. And she does it for like half a day, but she pretty quickly goes back to being her natural self and he's okay with it. He's not expecting her to be something different and submissive. And I think also these people aren't so Haredi, but in the Haredi world, being a strong woman who takes initiative and stuff is not so far away from the taboo of being gay. It's, it's like really not done. So I thought that was kind of an interesting resonance that they had. Yeah. Are you going to say something about Pernick? Or well, sort of, I wanted to tag on to what Denise said, mm-hmm. because the interesting thing about the date that, that um, Ray was on was he clearly hadn't heard anything she'd said up until, well, because he kept saying, it has to do with economics. It has to do with economics. He must have asked her three or four times. But if he'd been listening, he would have known that she was an accountant, since we all know she's an accountant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think, and that's what really brings to the table, because he listens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Norm. I think in the modern Orthodox world in Israel and here, and even in the Haredi world, um, there are lots of strong and active women, um, lots of women who get edu- secular educations and pursue careers um, in some cases so that they can support a man who is going to spend full time as a student. Some cases not for that reason. Um, we see in New York there is a judge who is a Haredi woman 
and she founded an important organization uh, similar to what we have in Los Angeles called Hatzola, which is sort of a Jewish free ambulance service, but they have one that's women because a woman, especially somebody who's about to give birth and goes into, into labor, um, often is not so comfortable being attended by men rather than women. And so there are certainly areas within the Jewish community and beyond the Jewish community where Orthodox women, um, as any other kind of woman, are uh, pursuing education and career work. Um, you know, not long ago, I read a romance that involved an Orthodox woman who was an accountant. Um, and I, I just think those things are not so uncommon at all. I think if you look at, in, in, you know, in, in, in Josh's congregation, you'd probably find that a goodly portion of the women members, um, particularly those that are under, you know, that are younger than me, um, have significant responsible careers. Perhaps they were in business. Perhaps it was uh, in a profession. I think you'd find that. I specifically didn't say career when I was talking about initiative. I meant more on the personal level of like, yeah. she's, not, she's not acting the role in, in the societal sense. Not, not, not about careers, but just, yeah, I'll make kiddish. I'll ask the guy out. Cool. Why do I have to be quiet? That kind of thing. Yeah, and I think, I mean, this is a tension that we see play out with Hodaya and her friend slash actress guest person, you know, that like this person's like, oh, you know, I, I just realized my whole life is submission and it's there's no, it's, uh, there's nothing here. <laughs> like, And Hodaya like gets really upset about that, even though she left the, you know, the from world. She's like, that's not my life. Like, what do you, you know, and that's kind of like a theme that's playing out here, which I think touches on what Norm was talking about. Uh, it's something that came up a lot when, back when we did Schlissel for the New Orleans Schlissel people, you know, like the Schlissel, all the female characters, the ones who are running the show, <laughs> the men are like the ones sitting back doing nothing. And like the, you know, it's the women who are really, um, you know, the ones who are, who are doing things. So I think, you know, what Norm's touching on is, right, is certainly, I think, reflective of reality in a lot of ways in that often it's sort of, and yet, right, even though it's often women who have more secular education than the men and who have higher earnings than the men and so forth, um, there is something about Ra'ud and her particular assertiveness um, that is, I think, uh, you know, uncommon or less common in the firm world. You know, women can be professional in certain contexts, but then, you know, she's assertive across the board in, in her, you know, religious life and, right, all of these things uh, at the coffee shop, all, right? Like, so I think there are aspects of it that even more normatively assertive from women, you know, areas where it's less socially acceptable to be as assertive, where she's, she's sort of assertive always. Um, Rebecca and Leonard and then Robert and then we're going to close because I'm six minutes late to another program. <laughs> um, another uh, uh, contrast that was portrayed in the um, uh, in the show that was interesting is you had the actress who was trying to who was pretending to be uh, from and um, so many things you know were revealing um, uh, that she wasn't so in the end in the kitchen. Uh, Yifat confronts her, so to speak, and outs her, so to speak. Yeah. And, you know, you're not religious, are you? So she wasn't able to carry it off. So in, in the scene with Roe and Nati, also in the kitchen, 
um, you know, Roe, you know, preemptively really comes out instead of going through and being uh, found out like the actress, uh, the actress was, but it was still a, a revelation of, you know, you, 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 you can't hide and you got to be your true self. It'll come out. So. You're always good at spotting those things. <laughs> I was just going to say that. I was just going to say, you're very good at making those connections across a, an episode. Well, I think in, in, in most episodes, they, they, they have those different um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I never pick up for them reason. Reason. you always do. So. <laughs> um, Are there Cliff's notes for this? <laughs> <laughs> so... It's funny that you say that. Um, I will say one very funny thing, and then I forget who I called on. Oh, Robert. Um, I was looking up something about the episode, and there's there are women who created a drinking game based on Srugim, and it gives you a summary because like each moment in the episode has points allocated to it, and you will all not be surprised to know that Nati has like the most points. So if something happens with Nati in the show, you know, you take the most drinks or I didn't actually focus on what the game was because I was trying to find something in the episode. But um, anyway, it does exist. Cliff notes with some alcohol if you want them. Uh, Robert. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, well, you know, we've been mainly talking about the um advancement in uh, gay uh, equality in, uh, in L- the LGBTQ community here in, in, uh, in synagogues, et cetera. Um, but in Israel, it's, I would think it's a little different. There's been progress, but it's, uh, has it been the same now in Tel Aviv? Yeah, if you're not, if you're Hiloni, if you're secular, fine. But in Jerusalem or in uh, elsewhere outside of Tel Aviv, um, how... Um, how egalitarian or accepted is our gay people? I mean, I think both in America and in Israel, the ground has been shifting pretty rapidly years okay. and decades um, to where, look, you, there's, no orthodox, there's no Orthodox yeshiva in Israel that accepts openly gay, you know, post high school students for, um, or, or women in, for seminary. And so like, when I studied at Pardis, there were like my Chavruta was gay, and it was a frustration to him that he was like, "There's nowhere else for me to go except Pardis," and like he was sort of one of the top learners at Pardis, and it was sort of like, "Yeah, but there's no like next step. There's nowhere else to go because there's no yeshiva where I can go learn," you know. And so like that's a pretty common. So like there are areas in you know when it comes to religious life where things are, I would say, kind of, you know, somewhat more limited, but. When it, you know, look, there's a, a very large gay pride parade in Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, right? So, like, there are, so when it comes to social acceptance, you know, more and more and more, right? Sorry, Rabbi Shah says, except the conservative yeshiva, right? I said orthodox. I said orthodox. But there, but he could have gone from Pardes to the conservative yeshiva. It would, yes, but there wouldn't have been people who were at a higher learning level. Um, so, but yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a thing that has shifted. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.